Hello and welcome to another episode of the Faith Fellows podcast. I'm Lucy. And I'm Janina. And this week we are going to be talking about the last of the cryptids, uh, what I would consider as arguably one of the most terrifying creatures of myth and legend, the uh, North American and Canadian Wendigo. Woo! Yeah, you come across a Wendigo before? Yes, I have actually. Twice. Uh, oh. Yeah. Uh, not not in real life. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I have come into contact with that in the Lone Ranger film, which mm. uh, against all the reviews I thought was actually pretty good. Um, and uh, then also in Supernatural. Yeah, I remember it in Supernatural as well, briefly. Although they, they call it something different, don't they? they? They give it a different intonation. What do they call it? Yeah, they call Wendigo it like or the something. Wendigo. Yeah, they yeah. do. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's so weird. Anyway, um, it has a lot of names, to be fair. Um, it, it's also sometimes called the Windigo, the Windigo, the Widico, and other things. But the one they say in Supernatural <laughs> is definitely not one of them. <laughs> it's yeah, definitely not that. one of them. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so um, it's a it's it's one of those myths which quite a lot of the cryptids in America are that kind of starts in Native American cultures and in Native American traditions and then gets like co-opted by the settlers and becomes something a little bit different that that kind of cements itself in the in the American imagination. But it very much so has its origins in Native American myth and 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 it it is. A piece of Native American. It's a Native American cryptid, I would say. It belongs to a, a series of tribes who are speakers of the Algonquian, I think is how you pronounce it, uh, languages. Uh, mm-hmm. Apologies if that's not how you pronounce it, but I, I, I think it is. Um, which are basically just tribes that, that speak this this Native American language that follows that kind of a tradition. And it mainly that's where we find the, the Wendigo myth in its origins. Mm. Um, it has a little bit of variation in terms of like what happens in, in the myths and in the stories about it, but generally the kind of through line is it, it is a genuinely feared creature, particularly mm-hmm. among uh people of Native American origins even to this day. It, it's like the um the chupacabra in that in that sense where it mm-hmm. still has that fear. We don't fear Bigfoot really, but they do fear yeah. the, the Wendigo. Um yeah. uh and generally it's understood to be a malevolent creature, cruel and typically cannibalistic, which is mm-hmm. one of the kind of important through lines of it that comes through a lot. In terms of appearance, uh, it's sort of what you would expect now from like a zombie film is the best way that I can describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, in height, it varies from sometimes it's like very humanoid, like average human size, and sometimes it's as tall as 15 feet tall. So that that really changes over depending on which different variant of the myth you're looking at. but. Um, what doesn't is that, particularly in in its or it's in its original form, it it comes across as typically corpse-like, um, with grey skin, skeletal, hollow features, sunken eyes, 
um, tattered, bloody lips generally covered in blood, sort of suggesting the the fact that it is one a hunter, two a cannibal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, you know, it looks it looks zombie esque, but with a little bit more blood is yeah <laughs> um but I, I think one of the things that tracks into pop culture and into kind of modern understandings of the myth is is as time goes on the wendigo gets less and less humanoid um, yeah. and becomes more and more typically monstrous um and for some reason which I can't entirely track in art and and paintings of the Wendigo. It often appears with as a kind of lanky human with the head of a deer. Mm -hmm. Um, That description is very rarely put down in like written versions of the tales. So I don't know where it comes from. I don't know if that's a remnant of the oral tradition or if that is a imposition of the modern imagination it could be either way um, yeah. worth noting that's that's there um so the original myth is is a little bit different from what we might see in in things like supernatural and the lone ranger you mentioned until dawn is the one that i'm thinking of mm. um it's it varies like its appearance does but but generally the story follows the same kind of characters in the same kind of situation. So there's generally either a family or a man or a hunter who is hungry, looking for food. Uh, And they go out into the woods to hunt, usually. Uh, It's at that point that they start to feel like something's watching them and something's Mm -hmm. with them in the woods. Um, and either through glimpses through the trees or physically out there in front of them tearing into a rabbit or something, whatever way they catch sight of the Wendigo. Um, and unlike you and I, who perhaps <laughs> might be particularly surprised by the Wendigo, this is not usually the first thought of the travellers that encounter them. The first thought is, in fact, not surprise, but recognition. The The thing about the I want to say protagonist in this case is they know (laughs) the myth of the Wendigo yeah they know yeah they know what to expect when they when they meet the Wendigo um and so knowing what they do which is that the Wendigo is a terrifying supernatural creature um a hunter that can easily kill them and tear them apart and will kill and eat anything that comes in its path Mm. um they obviously are immediately terrified. What what terrifies them more than that knowledge that they are suddenly the prey, suddenly the um, prey in the situation and the Wendigo is the predator, um, is the knowledge of what the Wendigo will do if it doesn't kill them. Which is where right. modern, <laughs> yeah, it's not good. There's no good coming with the Wendigo. Which is <laughs> where modern adaptations, I think, really focus down. They, this is the bit that I think they really pull at because it's the bit that sticks, which is that if the Wendigo doesn't kill you, it will possess you. Um, All right, yeah. In which 
through various amounts of time starving and starting to develop a, a taste for human flesh eventually the victim of the wendigo becomes the wendigo mm. uh, and so another wendigo is born via this possession uh, right. which is obviously even more terrifying than death itself you become the wendigo um i'm mm. a cannibal which mm. is hideous um and generally that that transition is sometimes it's instant sometimes it takes more time but but it generally goes through a stage of like hunger psychosis um and and then slowly kind of deranged cannibalism and and kind of goes down into a state of like pure base animal animalistic urges um and eventually they end up as this monstrous thing uh now this is where the tales kind of fork um because there's two really two types of of wendigo story um one where the hero prevails and one where the wendigo prevails <laughs> um but Characters who are possessed by the Wendigo generally start to become wild and rabid um, and they usually end up killing their own family at the end of the story. So that's the kind of dark twisted when the Wendigo wins. Mm. But unlike some of the more modern cryptids, there is uh, very much a sense of the Wendigo is an evil creature and therefore we are stronger. So that the majority of the myths actually have uh, the the hunter or the uh, the father of the family winning out actually, um, mm. um, and so the way they they do this is is if they manage to survive or slay the Wendigo through through their own wiles and wit, um, then at the end of the story, if they have killed the Wendigo, usually what happens is they'll be rewarded in some way by nature. Mm -hmm. uh, so what I mean by that is kind of like. If, they, if the point of the story is they've gone looking for food, looking for something to eat, then at the end of, once they've killed the Wendigo, they'll suspiciously find a rabbit left for them in, you know, a dead slain rabbit that they can cook for their dinner and they can take on for their family. So usually they get rewarded once, right. once they've slain the beast. Mm. By presumably not evil nature spirits. <laughs> I think. Um, and th that's generally, you know, the myth changes over time and it changes through different uh, different tribes, but that's generally kind of the lowdown of it. Um, mm. And we talked about some kind of places that it comes up in in adaptations. The one that I kind of want to, I guess, hear all the most is the one that the, where I first met the Wendigo was in in Until Dawn, which is a horror survival video game it's a great game um mm. and the reason that i think this is a really important game in terms of the wendigo myth is because it sort of brings something back which got forgotten um yeah which is that um in until dawn the kind of spoilers by the way the, the <laughs> kind of the plot hook is that um the town that they, the mountain that they are um, staying on 
has uh, an asylum in it, I believe. And at this asylum, it, they were so badly treated that they descended into madness and started to eat each other. Oh. Um, the, the people at this asylum became cannibals and that called the Wendigo to the mountain. And that's why all the things in the game are happening, because people who resolve to cannibalism call the Wendigo. Right. Um, and surprisingly, this is an idea that actually does come from the original myth sometimes. But it, it's a piece of the myth that really gets forgotten up until the creators of Until Dawn dig it up again. Um, so making that tie between cannibalistic humans and the Wendigo, not just as the Wendigo makes cannibalistic humans, but also cannibalistic humans make the Wendigo. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and bringing that kind of full circle is very... I think very interesting and, and that's yeah anyone who's played until dawn will think that that's a common part of the wendigo myth and it's not it's something <laughs> that got forgotten for a very long time so it, it's kind of cool to have it back yeah absolutely usually what i do in in these episodes is i'll bring in a an english creature if i can something from a little bit closer to home um and to be honest i struggled with this one because we don't have an equivalent to the Wendigo. We don't have anything that, mm. that strikes as much fear. Um, we don't have anything that's particularly um, physically resemblant of the Wendigo, apart from the one that I am about to briefly talk about, which I've shoehorned a comparison, <laughs> I think. But um, we, we really don't have a Wendigo in the UK. I'm prefacing this with that. Um, the only thing that I think bears comparison is a myth that I've talked about a little bit before, which is the the myth of the Dullahan of mm -hmm. Celtic mythology, which um, rather than a demonic entity or evil spirit at the very least, which is what the Wendigo is, uh, the Dullahan is is a fae creature, which goes with our, our name just fine. Um, it's a malevolent fae um, as they often are. Uh, and we probably understand the myth now uh, as close to the Headless Horseman myth. So in terms of mm -hmm. appearance, it's it's pretty synonymous with that. It's um it's a creature that's headless, carrying its own head in its hands, riding a horse. If you see right. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very familiar. Um and I guess that. The reason that I've tied them together is, one, they do have similar similarities in appearance, but also it's the only thing that I think at any point in our history inspired a similar amount of fear as the Wendigo does. There was yeah. a time where Irish people in particular were genuinely afraid of the Dulan. Granted, it, it was a while ago, but there was <laughs> a time. Um, there was a time. Um, so, yeah, but, but, but rather than... Um, a predator and a hunter, the Dullahan is, is more of an omen of death. Um, it kind of operates by the usual fey rules, which is people aren't killed by fighting, they're usually killed by stupid, stupid tricks in, 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 <laughs> in language or something. So the one that works for the Dullahan is, um, is he may speak once per journey. So he, he rides across the land and he can only speak once every journey he takes. And the, the thing that he says is the name of the next person 
whose life he wants to take. Right. Uh, so that's his only thing. So if he says that to you, you're gone. Yeah. So his, pow <laughs> his powers works, like the bear uh, often find. Mm. Uh, and and the kind of the thing in the myth there is like the doorham will stop riding next to the house of the person who's next to die, and then it'll take a moment and it'll call out their name. Uh, and in other versions of the myth, the only like the other thing that he does is. If a person tries to spy on the Dullahan, uh, which I'm not sure why they would, but they, yeah. if they do, uh, the Dullahan throws a bucket of blood over that person, marking them as the next to die that way. So it oh, can okay. potentially kill two people on its trip if, if someone spies mm. on it. Without but, having to speak twice, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes... I'm not really sure why or when it's allowed to do this. Sometimes uh, it, it is reported as lashing out the victim's eyes with its whip. Oh. Which I'll mention in a second. Um, <laughs> like the Wendigo, its appearance is uh, decidedly undead. That's, <laughs> that's the kind of similarity. Uh, and, and you couldn't really doubt it in this case because they are headless and carry their head rotten head in their, their arms. The head, uh, unfortunately, is always, almost always, described with skin-like rotten cheese. And <laughs> I have no idea why that comparison is always drawn, but it is. It's mm. always those exact words, never anything else. Very strange, but anyway. Um, and the head is <laughs> maybe nice. people had more rotten, rotten cheese in their fridges back in the time when there were no fridges, you know. <laughs> That's just you know, it's always that. Uh, and yeah. the other thing about the head is that it's it's kind of a Cheshire cat type thing where it's it's grinning and naturally wide, which mm. is gross. Uh, so quite a, an unseemly sight. Um, yeah. Uh, the other kind of thing that comes up in descriptions of it is the horse they ride, because they are a horseman. Um, they will always ride a black horse or on a carriage that is pulled by black horses. Um, and they usually carry a whip, as I mentioned before, but the whip is made of human spine, which right. is great. Uh, pretty grim yeah 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 yeah. it does it gets worse would you believe <laughs> um, not in the case of the horse uh, the horse is sometimes said to breathe fire out of its nostrils or or be impossibly fast and spark fire as its hooves hit the floor which is quite a dynamic image at least um mm. and when the cart is mentioned it is the most hideous part of the myth um the cart is supposedly made entirely of human body parts, usually. <laughs> Sometimes it's a coffin, but usually it's described as being made of human body parts. So like skin, human skin makes the like lining of the cart. Bones mm -hmm. make the spokes of the wheels and all that kind of thing. It's mm -hmm. it's unpleasant. It is unpleasant. Yeah, sounds it. <laughs> uh, but also, like the Wendigo, uh, it is often foiled, uh, as Fae usually are in Fae stories, well, sometimes. Um, <laughs> the Dullahan is not quite so easily killed, 
or is not killed at all, but it can be weakened. Uh, so once again, its weaknesses operate very much by classic fey rules. Uh, mm-hmm. The Dullahan has a weakness to precious metals, which all right. it, it, it works in kind of the crucifix type way. If you know what I mean, like yeah. you throw you throw the precious metal on the floor, um, and then that causes him to run away. Uh, yeah. And other myths, although I've never seen any suggestion of him actually being defeated this way, but other myths suggest that the even the smallest like bit of gold can um, hurt him quite severely. But right. I've never I've never read of him being killed. I say him, it can be a woman or a man, and I think there is not oh, just okay. one of them. It's a clan of these. Yeah, there were mm-hmm. quite a lot of women in Dullahan. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Um, the the interesting thing about the Dullahan uh, comes really in its origins for me, which are bizarre. Um, and I'm not sure how much credence to take from them but supposedly the Dullahan exists as a myth now because it was once the human embodiment of the Celtic god of uh, fertility who an ancient Celtic god of fertility who who demanded human lives to be sacrificed to him every year by way of decapitation and okay. history generally suggests that these demands were, at the very least, occasionally fulfilled by cultists and by people in general. So there is a suggestion that human sacrifice by way of decapitation was going on in Ireland uh, pre, you know, back in back in the good old days. Yeah, <laughs> pre Christianity. Um, but then obviously when the when the Christians got to Ireland um and, and and saw that happening, they were terrified. This <laughs> is the only way I can think of it. But also the, the, that kind of became a demonized thing, human sacrifice in general. Um so they they kind of demonized this myth and they wanted to create a monster out of it rather than a god. Um, and the suggestion is that, that the Dullahan were born then, so they're kind of a hybrid of Celtic and Christian mythology, would you believe? Mm, yeah, that's, interesting. That's, that's one theory anyway, in, into where they come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, human sacrifice, pretty gross. Yeah, very gross. <laughs> <laughs> and that's been my uh, my last cryptid, for now. We might come across some British cryptids in the next couple of in the next series. Yeah, who knows? I mean, you know, if uh, if people want more cryptids or more fairy tales at some point, I think there is still one fairy tale to come for you guys. Um, then you know, feel free to comment and let us know, and we're always happy to include anybody's wishes. Yeah. So, I don't know, is there any any last remark that you wanted to uh, add to the Wendigo? I think, uh, I think, I think I've painted a pretty dynamic image. Uh, I, I hope that the cryptid stories have come through um, 
uh, is any any way as interesting as I think they are because they are fascinating. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely, fascinating. I've loved listening to them. So, yeah, hope you have too. Yeah, and okay. um, yeah, I mean, let us know where you uh, have come across the Wendigo. Um, as as we all have seen that, <laughs> even I've come across it before. Um, so it is it is interesting how uh, how these creatures keep uh, popping back up in yeah. things where you wouldn't necessarily expect it. Yeah, that's um, what I like about cryptids. I think the folklore crops up now and then, but it tends to stay basically true to form. Whereas cryptids really do evolve with like the whims of the nation at any given time. Yeah. They move. They move. Indeed. I mean, I suppose, you know, they probably have more legs than a fairy tale does. So. <laughs> right. Oh, um, well, if you would like to comment or message us or anything, we are Fae Fellows podcast on Facebook, Instagram and Tumblr and just Faye Fellows on Twitter. So love to hear from you guys. Um, thank you so much, Lucy. It's been so good. Um, <laughs> can't wait to hear what you come up with in the next season where we shall be exploring more different uh, types of tales and creatures. And um, yeah, hope you're having a lovely day wherever and whenever you are hearing this. And bye from us. <laughs>